guys. Welcome back to A Different Life Story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another beautiful day for an interview and what an interview it's going to, going to be. Uh, it's going to break all the records, so to speak, um, because I have got a tripolar guest with me. I've got Tim Davis. Tim is a, is a man who has developed this this strength to go from mile to mile to mile to mile um, and we're going to explore his unique reasons why he's become such a successful triathlete and more importantly why he's a tripolar so good morning to you tim it's so fantastic to have you on my show good morning stefan thanks for having me an absolute pleasure, an absolute honor, because yeah. I mean, the furthest I can run is, oh, I could run, was 10Ks, and then and, and 10Ks, that took me about an hour, and I was bored out of my brain afterwards. <laughs> so to just imagine you doing ultra endurance races, uh, and it's just, wow, I take my hat off. I couldn't do it. And to spend such determination and show such determination to 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 kiss life and say, come on, let's do it. Wow. <laughs> wow, man. So, yeah, hey. and, and that's what we're going to explore, your, your fantastic energy that you bring to the table today, um, despite or maybe because of your past and yeah. because of what you have gone through, the shit in your life and yeah. how you turned your life around. And that's going to be a cool journey. Yeah, yeah. So, Tim, thank you so much. Uh, Tim, I mean, you when you were when we when you were younger, when you were a teenager, were you always a runner, or were you actually uh, what what did you want to be when you were a young man? When I was a young man, I know at age five, in this book that my mom had, kind of keeping track of all of us kids, I said I either wanted to be an actor or an astronaut, and. Uh, <laughs> So you're stuck with I, the ace. <laughs> yeah. And I was always good at math and science. So I, I kind of pursued, you know, science as I got older. Um, and I actually majored in aerospace engineering my first semester in college. But then uh, drugs and alcohol got in the way of my studying, my calculus and my aerospace engineering classes. And uh, I was barely pulling C minuses. And uh, so I, I dropped out of that major and picked an easier major. I, I fell into exercise science as, a, as my major, kinesiology, as some people call it. Um, yeah. That's what I ended up graduating with. But uh, as far as running goes, um, you know, as a kid, my mom didn't let us play sports uh, until we were in high school. But I was always running around and doing stuff. I got a little pudgy before middle school, but then I sprouted up again. And uh, in high school is when I played football, basketball, and our football coach encouraged us to run track, you know, as our spring conditioning. So I ran track all four years in high school. And uh, I found, as, you know, my first year of track, uh, I, I could never win at the sprint races because <laughs> uh, the, there were other people that were just faster at sprinting. But when I ran the one mile, the two mile, I could finish you know, usually in the top top five, so I could get you know the uh, ribbons for for placing. So I, I found my my niche as a distance runner, you know, in high school, I guess. Uh, and then in college, I started running marathons. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of on a dare my freshman year. <laughs> uh, 
As my roommate told me a week before the LA Marathon, my roommate was bragging about how his grandpa ran the LA Marathon every year. And I'm 18 and I'm young, dumb and full of you know what. And I was like, well, if this old 67 year old man can run the marathon, so can I. And I had never run more than like five or six miles at a time. And I signed up the week before. I went out there and got it done, but it was it was not easy. That was the hardest marathon I ever ran was my first one. <laughs> Is it not? It would be. I mean, you just nailed it. The, the very first thing, the first time you do things in regard that's what it is bloody hell uh wow okay so from the word go uh and yeah. it's interesting <laughs> that you say from from aerospace to to drugs i mean you kept high so to speak for for gift upon i had to say yeah. it i had to say it <laughs> i hadn't even thought of that that's funny <laughs> okay uh. shit the the bottom line is though it is interesting because you to go aerospace that's already quite science that is well up there you didn't go for a little science project you went up there and is that is that something so did you from the word go aim for the stars so to speak did you um, were your goals always that high um uh, i always did well at school always got straight a's honor student um always did my homework first um but i also started experimenting with drugs and alcohol at a very young age i mean i was Eight years old the first time i got drunk and nine years old is the first time i smoked weed um because uh, i had a brother who was four years older than me and he let me do whatever he was doing so uh, you know i was just he was in he was in middle school or junior high as we called it then doing stuff and i was just you know the little you know buddy tagging along doing what he did um and i i mean i did it here and there in middle school and high school and at high school more but i always got my homework done first um it wasn't until i got to college where i you know i started you know affected my grades a little bit. I mean, I still graduated with a 3.3, but I wasn't getting 4.0 anymore. <laughs> Interesting. So you still kept it together. And you, like many young men, go out there and spread their wings and drugs and alcohol, uh, at least the softer ones, like in this case, were, yeah. were part of many lives. Without them, then derailing or going into depths of the abyss. Uh, now, your story and mine ends a bit there, or, or at least temporarily uh, has that as a pit stop. And, but why do you think, what, gave, what did alcohol give you? What, what did the weed give you? What was its benefit? for you um for me i think oh, there was a lot of benefits i mean it made me feel good first of all <laughs> but uh I, i think as a kid you know and in, in retrospect i mean i'm 46 years old now and i've done lots of therapy and lots of 12-step work and uh you know as a kid i was just always anxious and insecure and just uh didn't feel like i fit in or just felt that i was different apart from less than other people just uh inferiority complex i guess And uh, when I smoked weed, um, all the anxiety went away, all the insecurities went away, and I felt like I, I did fit in. And, you know, I often felt even grandiose or superior to other people around me. Uh, I felt like I could do anything, you know, for a long time. That 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 medicine, I guess, if you will, <laughs> you know, made me feel confident. You know, like I wasn't afraid to go ask the girl at the dance to go dance with me if I had a few drinks or a few, you know, hit a few hits of weed in me or whatever. But if so I was sober, I would just stay on the wall and be a wallflower. I was too afraid and nervous to go. I just, she's going to say, no, I don't want to get rejected, you know, so that kind of thing. So oh, hell yes. I was, you're describing so, so many young people nowadays. And that's, I think, the big, the big, 
it's a big temptation and a big uh, risk for so many because once you have felt that first high and felt uh -huh. that wow i can feel like that how cool is that yeah that's uh that's intoxicating because those people who have got the genetic predisposition you give them that dopamine rush that comes with the alcohol and yeah. wow i mean i'm a super responder and you are so bottom line is with uh, the same kind of stimulus gives far more dopamine for us and you think wow i love yeah. that and yeah. out you go and and you always chase that first high and that's what they say about injectable drugs, et cetera. Uh, but I think it's exactly the same thing for, for us youngsters with the genetic predisposition, having our first drugs or first alcohol, first weed, et cetera. So now it is, it is intoxicating. And we certainly know nowadays that the same is true for the risk taking of teenagers. Um, why are they so uh, sometimes doing such stupid things? And it's exactly because of that, the, their extreme behavior gives them that dopamine release that normally is nowhere to be found. So everything is boring. And then suddenly they do something stupid like burnouts or, or uh, even run away from the cops for crying out loud. Uh, wow, that's cool. That's fun. And you think you did what? <laughs> and, but it's that so dopamine is all is is really running our lives and our bloody reptilian brain is yeah. going nuts so so there you were basically initially uh, creaming it without any problems then trucks and alcohol and girls came along and uh things were were not so smooth anymore but you scraped through how did the story continue um after college or mm -hmm. um so you know i, I kind of you know managed through college with the grades and uh you know i met my uh, wife to be my freshman year and we started dating um we actually lived together our sophomore year and we found out that that experiment didn't work out too well we kind of broke up our junior year then we got back together uh towards the end of junior year or senior year i can't remember she she remembers better but we got back together right before we graduated and we moved in together after graduated and uh, and that's when uh things started to progress um because I always kind of told her that, you know, she knew early on that I, I smoked too much weed because I pretty much smoked it every day. And, you know, when I wasn't in school or work, it was like all day, every day, you know, weekend binge guy. Um, and so I always told her that I could quit whenever I wanted to. And uh, I have this whole saga of I'll quit when, you know. So at first I told her I'll quit when we graduate from college because we'll start our careers and we'll have real jobs. So I'll have to be a serious adult now. But that didn't happen. And then I told her I'll quit when we get married, you know, which was a year or two later, and uh, that didn't happen. And then I told her I'll quit when you get pregnant, you know, because occasionally she would smoke some weed. She's a normal normie or a normal person, you know. She does. She'll have like one drink and stop, or she'll have you know just one joint. And back then, you know, maybe like once a month or something. Um, so I told her I'll quit, you know, doing this when you get pregnant because you can't do it anymore, and I'll support you, but. Lo and behold, she got pregnant around age 24, and I had this revelation. I'm like, well, you know, she's the one who can't really use the chemicals because it'll affect the baby growing inside her. I'm the, I don't have a baby growing inside of me, so I, I can still do this. So needless to say, I did not quit, you know, smoking weed and drink, <laughs> drinking when she was pregnant. And it actually got so bad that, um, you know, a few months before the baby was due, she kind of gave me an ultimatum. She's like, I don't think you're going to be sober enough to drive me to the hospital when, when the water breaks. And uh, that was when I actually went to my first uh, 
uh, 12-step meeting and tried to start getting a handle on things. Um, but at that 12-step meeting, I didn't really connect or identify with the people there. Um, you know, there's a saying in the 12-step program, when you go to meetings, look for the similarities and not the differences. But for me, you know, and for a lot of people new, you know, that are not ready to get sober, um, not fully surrendered yet, um, we're looking for the differences, you know, at that stage in our journey. And that's, I looked for the differences and I saw a lot of differences. I didn't connect and relate, but I managed to, uh, you know, kind of white knuckle it and stay physically sober until the baby was born. And then I went, you know, after we got back from the hospital, I went on like a weekend long bender at my little brother's house and here I here my wife is with this newborn baby and her, you know, the new father's abandoned her first you know, three days. You know, she came over to my mom's house and knocked on the door. She's like, it's Tim here. And, you know, it was an ugly scene, you know, but I wasn't doing my duties as a new father, you know, and I, I was celebrating being a father, but I wasn't being responsible. And, you know, it, it's just, uh, I ended up getting back into, you know, checking into my first rehab and that began a five-year kind of cycle of going in and out of rehabs where, uh, you know, I'd get like maybe 30 days and then think, oh, I could just have one drink. Um, I might even get six months. I'm like, oh, I could just have one hit of weed. But it was never just one. You know, there's a saying in the 12-step uh, program, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And if you're an addict and an alcoholic, you understand that. Because <laughs> mm. once I start, I can't stop. I just don't have an off switch. Normal people can just have one drink and they're done. You know, me, if I have one drink, it's off to the races. And uh, mm. everybody who knows me knows that. <laughs> they, they, they make sure not to give me alcohol anymore now that I, you know, I'm sober 13 and a half years. Ultra Tim, come on. You're a high achiever in every single aspect of your life. Come on. So one drink, <laughs> that's nothing. Sorry. One, one marathon. Oh, that's nothing. Come on. Let's, so yeah, you can, there's a picture emerging here. Come on. Super achiever, aren't you? Uh, yeah. So which age were you when you did your first meeting and your first rehab? Uh, I was 25, uh, 24 when I did my first, 24 or 25 when I did my first meeting, and then 25 when I did my first outpatient rehab. So it, was right, it was shortly after our baby was born that I checked into outpatient rehab. So interestingly enough, here you are, hopefully being to reasonable rehabs. Not all of them can be as superb as mine. I was such a lucky guy. But let's say most of these, these people have their hearts in the right place and want to help. Yet, you are bouncing back and forth. That tells me, hang on, <laughs> why is that? Because simply, you, and you were saying it, white-knuckling it. Yeah. There were reasons there that you were drinking. Hell, there were many reasons why I was drinking, but towards the end, it was to numb the pain, to mm. numb the voices, to numb the, the negative things in my life, which had accumulated quite a bit. There was a lot of pressure on me, and it, it was what it was. These were not pretty times for a number of reasons, and I had never learned to do anything else than drink to numb it. And after, you know, two, two liters of wine or two, two bottles of wine, well, the, 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 ah, the, 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 the sound effects started. Ah, that feels yeah. good. Then you put the headphones on and good music and suddenly you're 21 again. And, <laughs> you know, it's in, before you blink, it's four o'clock in the morning and you think, where is the night gone? And oh shit, in two hours I have to go back to work. Uh, kind of a thing. So... What were you working? What, what what was your job then? How did the money come uh, in? 
Let's see. Um, well, for the first year after college, I worked at the university that I went to um, in their financial aid office. Um, but then after that, I fell into teaching. I kind of followed my wife there because uh, she went straight into teaching and she really enjoyed it. Uh, the job I took right after college was basically data entry. It was really boring. Um, but uh, she's like, go be a teacher. You're like your own boss. You know, you, you're in control in the classroom. You know, she was a high school teacher. You know, you get to teach different stuff every day. You have different kids you're working with. It's intellectually stimulating. So I followed suit and, uh, you know, I actually taught a little bit of high school, but then I ended up in middle school for a few years. Um, and then I, you know, after two and a half years of middle school, that's when I checked into um, rehab and became a stay home dad. Cause that was kind of my proposal to my wife when I went to rehab. It's like, look, I can't stay sober. Um, and we had always wanted one of us to stay home with the kid when they were little. And uh, she had, her maternity leave was up and I'm like, here, I'll go to evening outpatient rehab. I'll watch our kid during the day. And uh, that worked for a little while until it didn't. <laughs> but I was a stay home dad for two years and I was sober most of the time. You know, my relapses were short, you know, usually, you know, sometimes just a weekend, sometimes a couple weeks. Um, but then I would get back into meetings, you know, keep coming back, as they say. Um, mm. And then finally, after too many relapses, she's like, you can't be a stay home dad anymore. I, I don't trust you not to, you know, you know, drive around not sober with our child in the car, which I always I'm ashamed to admit. But I, I often drove high or drunk with uh, my baby boy in, in the car. Luckily, we never had any accidents. Thank God. <laughs> So many things that we do that we're not mm -hmm. proud of. Yeah. But so that was your late twenties. Yeah, twenty-five uh, to twenty-seven. Indeed. And then, and you said you were in and out of rehab uh, in basically those five years. When did you realize that your moods and your mood swings were not the same as those of others? Um, probably not until I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder at age 27. Mm, indeed. As I, yeah. Because, because that sort of dual, dual, uh, diagnosis, uh, is such a challenge and it is, it must've been such a revelation for you when you, when someone said, Hey, look, you know, do you realize that you, that your mood swings are not so normal? Um, how did that feel for you? Um, I was angry because um, at the time, you know, well, at age 27, at age 26, 27, I started using more than just marijuana and alcohol. I started using cocaine and methamphetamine. And uh, I didn't know anything about bipolar disorder, but I, I knew that I had a problem with alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was enough for me. I'm like, now you're telling me I'm bipolar too. I got to deal with this too. So I was really angry and I was in denial. It right. took me another year or two to kind of really, you know, do what the psychiatrist was saying and, you know, stick with the medications, um, a lot of trial and error. And, uh, yeah, so I, it was, at first I hated it. So. What were your cycles like? Were you a rapid cycler? Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a type two bipolar rapid cycler. So mood swings go up and down within the course of the day. Mm. Uh, and as I learned more in some of the rehabs I went to, there was this thing called post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And I kind of wanted to believe that maybe I was misdiagnosed and that I just had this post-acute <laughs> withdrawal syndrome. 
but you know, lo and behold, every time I went off my bipolar medications, I would end up relapsing and start self-medicating with drugs and alcohol again. You know, they told me this, I learned this and I still did this, you know, like knowledge enough will not save you. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> okay. So guys, how dare when you're, you, now that you're listening to uh, bipolar, it's basically a, a disease where there are, uh, there are the neurotransmitters up there are really skewed with and they change over, uh, they fluctuate over periods of times. So there are some days and or some weeks and months when uh, you're really, really, when you're sort of normal and then there, there are bouts of mood, low moods and, and really depression. And then there's the opposite. You come out of that depression and you go sky high. Uh, without any drugs and you're a bang bang i love it i'm feeling good it's called mm -hmm. mania it's called you know and the extreme versions are fantastic i love everyone i love everyone and, and look what a beautiful life i'm gonna buy two porsches today and people do and then they take the porsche for a test run and crash it and all that kind of thing so that is the extreme version of being manic um being too high and these are sort of that is what happens in bipolar and rapid cycling just means that you condense the time frame from from you know weeks and months to sometimes days and hours yeah so and that of course puts a huge huge challenge to you because there you are already suddenly being really low in mood and you've got the temptation to weed or the anxiety, the anxiety that often goes along with the depression, where you're so tense and oh, you can't think of anything else. Did you have anxiety attacks? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just remind me, those things were the worst. The first time I had one, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was actually, I think I was in rehab and uh, I was in a rehab and I was sitting beside the counselor and uh, I was like, no, no, no. Actually, I was having them before I went into rehab. And I, so I went to the hospital to see if I was having a heart attack. And they're like, they did the EKG and everything yeah. else, blood pressure. Like, no, everything's fine. And I was like, something's not right because there's a lot of pain right here in the middle of my chest, you know, right yeah. where the heart is. Yeah. And it's just like, felt like, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, I was having a lot of those. Oh, God. And it's just very scary. And it just, it is, it is, it takes, it can take your breath away. It can so overwhelm you. And I had, I certainly had them at times and it was also weird, so weird. Uh, it is what it is, but it's like a wave, isn't it? It's you're, yeah. you're, you're in the ocean and it, there is a wave coming and you see it and you say, no, I don't want that wave. No wave, stay away from me. And you can't. That wave is just coming. It doesn't give a damn about you. Yeah. So you can either get really upset or you can ride the wave. And it took me a long, long time to accept that, that there are waves of moods that wash over you. And an anxiety attack, typically it's a few minutes or maybe mm -hmm. half an hour or something like that. So once you know that, you know it's okay. This is, you can't do much about it. Um, you, you might as well ride it. And so that is something I really only learned, oh, maybe within the last five years. But certainly there were many times in my life where I felt so tense, so ah, and it completely distorts you. So it is, oh, how often would you have them? How often 
At age 27, I was having, you know, multiple times a week for a few weeks period. And and I didn't really start having them until after I was coming off of methamphetamine. So I don't know if that was a a byproduct of doing the meth and and a lot of coke before that or what, or just, you know, finally, (laughs) I feel like, you know, using these more hardcore drugs that the coke and the meth is kind of what, like if I was bipolar, it definitely like lit the flame and and sparked the bipolar mania and depression and cycle. And that's when the anxiety sex started to happen when it's coming off those drugs. And, uh, you know, I had one or two that would last for like two or three days where the chest was just tight for two or three days. You know, it was like really severe for an hour or two, but then the chest was still tight for up to two or three days after that. And in recent years, I haven't had hardly any. uh, And maybe like three or four years ago, I had one and uh, I've had a couple in the last five years. But when I go, I I found now, you know, I just uh, when they start to come on, I go exercise. Like I'll go for a run or go swim or bike. I'm a triathlete. I'll pick any of the three. And uh, if I just go do like a half hour to an hour of cardio, usually by the time I'm done, it's kind of gone. It's worked itself out. And I feel better. Like, you know, the endorphins from the exercise have kicked in and kind of made it go away. So I I found exercise. It's a real helpful tool to manage those when I, when I still get them, I, I, it's very rare now. Thank God. (laughs) So, so what are you saying? Let me paraphrase. So when Mm -hmm. you start looking after yourself, you don't put shit into you. You look after your nutrition, (laughs) you do some exercise, you do some breathing, which is part of the exercise, et cetera. You suddenly don't have any more problems with anxiety. Funny that is weird, isn't it? (laughs) And that's us. Yeah, that's, that's us. You just yeah, want to yeah. slap yourself silly when you go back in your own mind and think, "Why the hell did I? What was? What was I thinking when I drank that much?" But you're not thinking. You're 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 working on a sub thinking level, on a reptilian brain level, yeah. where there's only pain and pleasure, and these are the two two big things. And oh God, everything up there, yeah. I mean, for crying out loud, did you? How did you initially deal with that? Did you try to read some self improvement books? Did you? Did you? How did your conscious brain fight or try to fight the emotions? How? What was that battle in your uh, head at, in, uh, uh, in the twenties? In the 20s, um, you know, after I started going to 12-step meetings, um, I started reading a lot. You know, I read the big book. Um, I revisited the Bible because I was raised Catholic. Um, I read books on all the different religions. I read books by the Dalai Lama. I did a whole bunch of reading and research. You know, after I was diagnosed bipolar, I, you know, I read books about people with bipolar and got this whole list of all these famous celebrities who had bipolar, you know, which made me feel more comfortable with having it because there's a lot of very well-known people who have had bipolar. Um, And it's just, you know, I tried to learn as much as I could, be a sponge and try to understand this thing, feeling like having a lot of knowledge about it would, you know, it eventually helped me come to accept it and come to terms with it, so. Indeed, I mean, for me, it is, somehow I must have felt that that where I am, I'm not happy with. The, the amount of self-help books and Tony Robbins CDs and things like that. Oh, yes, I got them all. And I even read some of them, uh, probably whilst I was sipping my wine and I was <laughs> listening to Tony Robbins. Okay, let's be quite clear about that. That's yeah. how how, how uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are was. And that's, I think, very typical for most of us. So we are striving to get better, but somehow we are dabbling and we are, we are sort of 
even if there are people in our lives who are saying, well, actually, maybe it has got to do with the amount of weed you smoke. Oh, no, 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 it can't be, can't be, no, no, no. That's just for me to relax, you know? You have to relax yeah. somehow, okay? I know. Yeah, right. Before, I know. <laughs> well, we don't need to go there. These were the bad times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. something changed with you. Something changed. Now, first of all, when you're full of weed, you don't run, okay? You run no, to the fridge, and that's maybe yeah. as far as you go. <laughs> I sit on the couch, and yeah, I get the munchies. I watch TV or play video games. Yeah, I'm so lazy. I, I know some people who are runners, and they do weed, and then they go, they'll take some edibles and go run. I'm like, man, if I do an edible, I'm, uh, I'm, not, le I'm not leaving the house. Yeah, know? exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. So suddenly something changed after, yeah, well, what actually changed? There were five years of rehabs that went yeah. down, the, down the toilet because yeah. obviously from one toilet, one relapse to the other. What, what changed? I think uh, it was two big things. Um, around age, I think it was 29, um, I got into a really bad car accident um, where I, uh, you know, I totaled my car. Uh, I'd been up on speed for like a week and um, I crashed in the back of a parked car late at night and I had my little brother, my baby brother. He's the, I, I got six brothers and sisters. He was only 16 at the time. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a seatbelt on. He was sitting in the front passenger seat and it, his head went into the windshield. He got a black guy and broke his nose. And uh, that was the first time where I was like, where I realized, you know, what I'm doing with drugs and alcohol could actually hurt somebody else. Because yeah. up until that point, I thought the only person I was hurting with myself, it didn't matter. You know, I'm not hurting anybody else. But that was when I, I had this like moment of clarity, like, wow, what I'm doing could really, you know, actually kill somebody else, you know. So I got into rehab after that and stayed sober for quite a while. Um, and the other thing is while I was in that rehab, because I stayed sober for three years after that, and I had one more relapse at age 32. Um, and then uh, the other thing was my sponsor at the time, he had this talk with me, you know, uh, one of his buddies and who I knew, this guy named Dale, he had 15 years sober and then he relapsed and died a week later in his car overdose. And uh, he took me to his funeral and they took me back to my sober living place. And he's like, you know what? Dale's there. People die from this disease every day. You know, you take a look around this room, all these other people in this rehab, so we're living with you. You know, they're all just a bunch of dead men walking. And then he went on to say that, you know, he's like, you know what, you can continue drinking and drugging and you can die from this disease. And uh, your wife and your kids will be sad, but they'll move on. She'll find a new man to be her husband and to be the father to your children. And when he said that, that was just when I was like, oh, hell no. And that's when I really got serious about, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know, like, and you know, up until that point, you know, at all the rehabs I'd been to, they're like, you need to do a sober living for like, you know, a year or more, you know, and I was always all about like, I can't be away from my wife and kids that long. I got to get back home and, you know, be the husband, be the father. Uh, little did I know I was not in an emotional place or in a good recovery place to, to be ready to handle all those responsibilities. They just stressed me out too much. Um, so I, at that point I surrendered, I'm like, I'll stay and sober living for a year or longer, whatever it takes, you know, I, I want to get this right. I'm tired of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and getting, not getting different results, getting the same results, insanity. Right. And, uh, that's when I really built a foundation, uh, and just holding on to those two thoughts is like, I don't, you know, my dad died from alcoholism when I was 13 and, uh, I didn't want my kids to have to grow up without a dad, like, you know, me and my younger brothers, sisters did. And uh, I didn't want my wife to replace me with some other man. And I didn't want to hurt anybody else through my drugs and alcohol. So those things were like, you know, having those moments of clarity and, and accepting those things were what really drove me to get sober and stay sober. And I, I just started praying to God for help. 
and I made a deal with God. I'm like, all right, I'm going to work all 12 of these steps. Cause up until that point, I never went through all 12 steps. I'd always relapse at like step four or whatever. And uh, I was like, this is what I, this was the deal I made. I'm all right, God, I'm going to work all 12 steps. And if I still want to drink or use after I work all 12 steps, I'm going to go drink or use. But lo and behold, as I worked through all the steps, especially after I got through step nine or well, actually a solid step four and five and definitely going through step nine, the obsession was lifted and I, I didn't feel like drinking or using anymore, you know, and I just, uh, hold on to that thought, you know, if I, to drink or use is to die. So I, I don't want to die and I don't want to hurt anybody else. So I just always remind myself of those things. And every day I say, God, please don't let me forget how bad it can get. That's a simple prayer I've been saying for 13 and a half years now. Because if I forget how bad it can get, I'll go right back to my old ways. And I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that anymore. Interesting. Interesting. And that's the two schools of thought when it comes to rehab or, or recovery, isn't it? There are some people who say, oh, no, no, I hate the 12 steps because it focuses on the negative. And it is, I have to admit that I'm an alcoholic. And just by the sheer fact that I'm admitting that, I put myself in a bad place and therefore the whole thing is bad. So that's the sort of a simplified version of some of the criticism that mm -hmm. the 12 steps programs face. Yet, uh, I believe very strongly in the carrot and the stick. You need to remind yourself from now and then actually where you have been and why it's not such a clever idea that you listen to that voice to say, look, it's a beautiful day. You've done so well. You've just published your book. You know, can you imagine that you want to celebrate? Yeah, you can imagine. Good. Could you imagine that nice class in the, that beautiful class, crystal class with some champagne in it, the condensation running down the side? Your, your brain is very clever. It puts these beautiful pictures there and mm -hmm. the, the beautiful memories because there were some odd, nice memories there associated yeah. with it. Yeah, it's just one. These voices, bloody hell, they are yeah. there. Do you still hear them? Do you still? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I heard I heard them this weekend when I was driving out to Arizona to go do the Black Canyon 100K ultra race. Uh, I drove past a billboard that said drive through cannabis. And I'm sitting there and thinking, wow, you know, I could drive through and just have it delivered right to my window. Don't even have to get out of the car. And I'm like, <laughs> shut up, disease. Because, <laughs> you know, if you just have like one edible or whatever, or one hit of weed, it's yeah. not going to be just one. It's going to be like, yes. now I got to have another and another. I'm going to burn oh. through all the money I have. I'm going to start lying again and doing all the crazy stuff I did to try and hide my drinking and using from everybody around me. And they're all going to find out because I'm, I'm never, never good at hiding it. You know? uh, anyway. So I don't want to go through the whole vicious cycle again. But yeah, just just this weekend, you know, I was like, exactly, exactly. And those, you know, marijuana is legal in pretty, most states now. And I hate that yeah. you could just like go buy it at like a liquor store now. <laughs> that's true. That's that's certainly true. At the same token, here in New Zealand, we voted against uh, legalizing marijuana, um, mm. and. Uh, there is a there's a negative side to it because Mariana is still sold by the gangs and it's the cash crop for them. And some of these bastards are lacing the Mariana with speed, yeah. for example, etc. So what you you have no idea what you get basically. Yeah. And uh, equally, the, the the nowadays the Mariana that is being sold is often so full of THC, so high in that yeah. compound uh, in that component that it gives you this this super high and it's very addictive so it's 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 a double edged sword here had we had we legalized it 
would it not have been taken out of the hands of the the gangs maybe therefore taken some of the the power away from the gangs you know it goes both ways there but i hear what you're saying yeah. um for see for us here if i drive around here there is for us it's the alcohol billboards and the alcohol um the alcohol advertising that is absolutely everywhere now you think oh no 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 it's it's there is no advertising bullshit bullshit it's a multi-billion dollar multi-trillion dollar industry out there so therefore wherever you go there is alcohol in such subliminal ways that you don't recognize it yet bang suddenly there is this fault where did that fault come from because that was exactly what what happened to a gentleman here. I recently went, went to visit the boss of my old rehab, and he told me the story of of one of his his very successful guys who was having this this um, this gardening business, and he was driving out to this client um, as a steady job for basically two weeks in a row, and every every day he was driving past that liquor license the off license and um one day he just stopped and three weeks later he was dead mm. basically so same story yeah. there uh, drank himself to death after 15 years or so being being sober so yeah. it is that it's that constant challenge it's that constant risk there and i think that is that is so important for us to realize so therefore, yeah. I don't subscribe to the, oh, no, we only need to focus on the positive. We only need to live such a positive life. Uh, then therefore, hey, everything else will fall into place. It works for most of the times. But from now and then, I need the reality check. From now and then, I need, I need to see the blood and gore um, to realize, actually, no, stop, shut up, voices in there, uh, no. So no, it's so amazing. Here we are having very different journeys, very different coping mechanisms nowadays. Yet, if you look through the the themes that are flowing through our stories, it is you could be my my twin brother. Okay. Well, mind you, we've got the same haircut, so that's a start. And I've only just a few few years ago shaved the beard off. So (laughs) I like the salt and salt and pepper by the way oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, yeah. that was happening to me i turned into yeah. santa claus and i thought no way no way <laughs> off it came <laughs> uh, so but here you go so i i shaved 10 years of my face uh and you <laughs> basically started running and that stands you very well and it's not just running it's it's triathlon um, yeah. So when was your first, your first, you, you came from running and when did you start, okay, actually, stuff it, I, I go the full length, I actually learn how to swim and, and do the cycling and do it all together. How did that come um, about? Let's see, uh, when I was age 25, I had a buddy, I was, we were teaching at the same school and he was the coach for the students run a lay program there, which uh, takes kids from, uh, you know, it was an inner city school. We take these kids and we train them to run for the LA Marathon. And so he and I were coaching the, the, these kids to train the marathon together, but he and I would go hiking and start doing other things together. And uh, one day he's like, you know, they're having the first uh, annual Los Angeles triathlon. He's like, I'm going to sign up for it. And I'm like, well, that sounds fun, you know, because I kind of knew how to swim. I mean, I was never a competitive swimmer, but I mean, 
I, I knew how to stroke <laughs> and, and I did like to cycle and mountain bike. Um, so I just, you know, jumped in with him and, and we did that, you know, and I did that for, you know, both the first two years they had that race and I did a couple others, but then I got away from it as I got away from exercise for the next handful of years while I was just, you know, going deep into drugs and alcoholism. And I didn't get back into it till age 34. Um, when I finally got sober at age 33, um, literally the last day I had a drink or drug was my 33rd birthday. Um, and the next day is my sobriety birthday. Um, and the first year and a half that I got sober, I gained 60 pounds because, you know, I quit the drugs and alcohol, but I didn't quit the sugar and the cigarettes. <laughs> so I was smoking like a pack a day uh, and I was going to the 12 step meetings and they had all this cake and all this cookies. And I was eating a lot of the cakes and cookies and just whatever I wanted. And it wasn't until uh, New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st, 2008, I stepped on the scale and it said 250 pounds. And I'm only five foot eight. And I was just like, wow, you know, at this rate, you know, 250 rounds up to 300, that rounds up. And I was like, I'm going the wrong way here. I hated being over 200 pounds. So I just made a, a, a New Year's resolution. I hate to say this because I, I never stuck to resolutions before, but <laughs> I made a resolution or a commitment. I, like three simple things. First, I'm going to stop eating seconds because, you know, you know, my kids were little at the time and uh, yeah, at the dinner table, they wouldn't finish their plate, you know, and everybody would just hand their leftovers to dad. Like, we can't finish our plate. Here you go, dad. So I was like the wonder disposal, clearing my plate and their plates. So I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to clear my boys plates or my wife's plate anymore. If they don't eat their food, it's either going to get put in the fridge or thrown out. So I stopped eating seconds. Second thing was I'm going to start exercising every day. And the third thing was I'm not allowed to watch TV or play video games and, until I've exercised for an hour that day. Because, you know, my first year and a half sober, when I wasn't going to meetings, wasn't working, I was on the couch playing video games with my boys, you know, just like couch potato. So I wasn't allowed to chill out on the couch until I exercised for a day. So stop eating seconds, seconds, exercise every day and no TV or screen time until you've done your exercise first. Uh, and I, I've been doing that ever since, actually, for, you know. God, what is it? Uh, I'm 13 and a half years sober. So I've been doing that for 12 years now. Cool. <laughs> so year and a half sober when I made that decision. And I put down the cigarettes too at the same time. So, guys, did you listen to that last few sentences? <laughs> decision, action. Okay. And consistency. That That's all it took. It was making a call, mm -hmm. really establishing an habit that then no longer becomes conscious, but it actually becomes normal and you wonder what is going wrong when you don't do it. And so decision, action, perfect. That is, yeah. so we can stop here. Decision, action, have a good day. Because if yeah. we could actually just do that, and it is, it, is, it is such an amazing thing to actually take that little bit of action. To, I mean, it's not such a huge thing that you did. Mm -hmm. It's not groundbreaking. It was not a revelation that you got from some Dalai Lama on the top of a mountain. Uh, you just decided, no, actually, come on. And fast forward here 12 years. And here is Tim Davis. Yeah, I run. Yeah. What was the longest you have run? Or what was the biggest triathlon or uh, a similar thing that you have done? What was uh, the longest? In 2015, I did the Oregon Double Amble Race, which is a double Ironman distance triathlon. So you swim 4.8 miles, you bike 224 miles, and then you run 52.4 miles in under 39 hours. <laughs> <laughs> no sleep. 
No, nothing. No, no sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not that fast. If you're fast enough, you might have a chance to take a little cat nap, but I, I was the last one to finish. I had seven minutes before the time cut off and I barely made it. So, but wow. I made it. You made Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a, what a mental stamina. How do you deal with the trauma of running? How do you deal with the challenges that you face? The first, the first 40 Ks probably for you are warm up. Um, then, but at some stage, sooner or later, mm-hmm. it will become pain. It will become a grind. How mm-hmm. do you deal with that? Um, I have a, several different techniques. Uh, first thing is I pray. Um, like I remember when I did my first Ironman triathlon back in 2010, I must have said the serenity prayer like over a hundred times throughout the course of that race. I'm just like, God, grant me the serenity to accept yeah. the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And please get me through to the finish line. <laughs> and I just kept going. And, you know, I, I swam, you know, and then I biked, and then I said a lot on the bike because biking is my least favorite of the three. Yeah. I love running and swimming but biking i often say biking is just something i do to get me between swimming and running because i love swimming and running biking's i i was into it a lot more earlier but yeah especially the last few years i i kind of it's just my recovery day i get on the spin bike but i don't do long rides like i used to because i'm i'm really into ultra running now so i i pray um you know i a lot of times you know when i'm training i listen to audiobooks or podcasts you know or music um, in the races, you're not allowed to wear headphones. In ultra races, you are. In triathlons, you're not. So, you know, in triathlons, it's just, you know, praying, meditating, breathing, focusing on that, you know, that feeling of, of euphoria when you cross the finish line and that sense of accomplishment, like, yeah, I did it, you know. Now, I used to really be big into getting all the medals and buckles. Um, now they're all kind of just in this huge box in my garage. <laughs> but I used to have this like shrine behind my desk where there's like this huge <laughs> wall with like them all hanging and everywhere. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, those aren't, they're not as important to me as they used to be, you know, because I know what I've done, you know, I don't need to, I used to brag a lot more, <laughs> but now it's like, now I just do it because I enjoy doing it, you know, but early on, it was like, you know, look what I did, you know, I was, I was kind of a show off. Now I'm trying to be more humble. Don't be surprised about that, because it was an achievement in your life, because you had probably for many, many, many years considered yourself a failure considered yourself not being good enough because here you were a straight A student. Now that's a lot of pressure on yourself, even if it is, even if you're a clever bunny, um, like you, I was best of school for, you know, up until 18. Uh, and uh, it was, it was hard work. And, but I was proud of it, but at the moment of pride was, was you know, that, that much. The rest I was, considering myself a failure because of so many other things, because I was insecure, I had anxiety. It was just, I was a typically young man, not finding my my place in life, always feeling out of sorts. So now fast forward and you actually start achieving something that is not truck and alcohol related, that is not somehow, you know, I don't know, falling into a lap or so, but it's due to hard work, hell, when can you be proud? So give yourself a break there, Tim. <laughs> you, you finally achieved something that you truly, truly can be proud. No, wait. 
That's funny. That's what my last sponsor said. He's like, what more do you have? What more do you have to prove? Exactly. Why are you doing this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, true, like, true, true. I was yeah. recently. I, I ended up in a, a shooting competition, and mm. I. It was uh, a long time that I had been uh, not shooting due to our Christchurch massacre here. Uh, oh yeah, I, that was so awful. Oh please! Um, oh, but it, it destroyed my sport. Um, so I finally mm. got back into my sport. I had these two medals from from two three weeks ago, and it is so bizarre. I've never won a medal in my life. Uh, despite the fact that I was good at school, we, we didn't get ribbons or medals or so. It was just, mm -hmm. yeah, you were good at school. Great. Now go to university. Um, it is, but I, I suddenly said, wow, that's cool. That's really, really nice. And it's a nice feeling. So uh, don't, don't, don't deny yourself that <laughs> achievement. I think it is just such a beautiful thing for us to spread our wings, to, become finally those people that we want to be and that we deserve to be. You deserve every single bloody piece of metal that is in your garage, okay? So, <laughs> and well, I, I do have my 100-mile run belt buckles hanging in a little case above my desk, so because I got seven of those and I got one from that double triathlon. Um, I do have that hanging on the wall above my desk. Those are the toughest races I did, so I am most proud of those. Wow, ones. wow. So the prayer got you through. What else got you through? Um, breathing, focusing on my my race plan, um, you know, because when you're doing these long races and you're out there for 10, 20, 30 hours, um, you got to make sure you're staying hydrated. Yeah. You got to make sure you're keeping your electrolytes uh, balanced. And that's always like such a oh. tough balancing act, you know, because it seems sometimes it seems like I never get it right because I seem to uh, most races I tend to cramp up here or there. Um, and when I cramp, I know I need to drink more water. I know I need to take another salt tablet. And uh, you got to watch your food too, because you can bonk if you're not getting enough calories in you, because you're burning two to 300 calories per hour for several hours. So you got to make sure you're taking enough calories yeah. so you don't get this caloric deficit where you just feel like all your energy is gone. So it's, focusing on your, your nutrition plan and your hydration plan is very important. And you spend a lot of time thinking about that, you know, as you get to each stop where you can refill on fuel and, and water and stuff. So focusing on that keeps me going and just praying, meditating, and just, you know sense of accomplishment at the end and just sometimes just letting my mind wander, you know, thinking about my to-do list. What am I going to do after the race? What do I got to do next week for work? Or what should I do for my wife and kids? Something nice for them. So, you know, since they're, you know, I'm away from them right now, you know, it's just all kinds of, you know, whatever pops in my head. So just let your mind wander and enjoy the, try to be in the now, you know. You have just described a typical day for me, okay? Yeah. You just described a typical day without the running, okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's all I, it is. Yeah, that's how I try to live my life. You yeah. just, exactly. But you immediately see the consequences if you fuck up, if you don't have your salt tablet and your water, the, the pain will be there from the cramping. For us, mm -hmm. it's often not so so apparent, and there are days when I live on coffee and by four or five o'clock, I realize I actually haven't had a break and I've actually eaten rubbish um, and I have not looked after myself. And now I'm suddenly surprised that I'm a bit hangry, that I'm a bit, yeah, yeah. bit, bit not right, that my mood is maybe a bit swinging. And it's just, uh, duh. And you just sort of think to yourself, you know, but it's nowadays with, with a lot of mindfulness and with a lot of, of just 
observing what is happening in there in response to there, um, you suddenly see what is happening. And maybe you finally, maybe I finally have grown up enough to actually listen to my body and loving my body for, for what it is, scars and all, uh, and actually treating it with the respect that it deserves. Mm -hmm. But that took me to my mid forties to start the yeah. journey and learning it. And here, here we are the same with you, Tim. So again, your twin brother, I mean, for crying out loud, yeah. we need to do an ancestry test. Um, <laughs> but then, then again, I can't run long. So we, we don't have the same genes, I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, actually, if you go back far enough in the, in the yeah. evolution of Homo sapiens, yeah. Way back when, uh, there's this great book called Racing the Antelope. Um, all the hominids, you know, that's how they got their food. In this that's book, right. he basically talks about, you know, in, in the tribes in Africa, um, you know, there's antelopes running around and they were very fast. But what they would do is they would just keep following them, following them, following them until they got too tired to run. And then they would catch the, you know, the antelope or whatever animal was. So, so they were endurance runners, you know, just constantly chasing, the, you know, the, whatever they were hunting until it finally got too tired. And then they could pounce on it with their spears or whatever other weapons they were hunting with. And uh, so back in the day, like all the original homo sapiens were, were traveling by their feet, you know, for long Indeed. distances for a long time to get their food. So we all That's have true. it in our genetics. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, there. Yeah. Okay. It's in there. <laughs> Somewhere hidden deep <laughs> underneath the chips. And uh, the, yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. It's, it's, if you go back to the basics, you're actually very, very right. Yeah. And I just think, you know, modern society and technology, you know, with the invention of cars and elevators and escalators and everything else, you know, and just all this easy entertainment right in front of your face has encouraged, you know, more obesity and laziness and sloth because we, mm. we got all these machines to do everything for us. We don't need to work, you know, before mm. all this technology, we all had to work. Everybody was lean because, you know, that was survival, you know, it's all about just getting your food and shelter and your know, hunting and gathering. Exactly. You know, but things are so different now with all our technological advances that allow us to be lazy and slothful. And I think that the reality is uh, you don't need to go too long back. You talk two, three generations back and it yeah. was the life was very different. Um, but we have already forgotten that because we, we have stopped asking our elders. We are living in societies where we where the elderly are now sitting in their nice retirement homes and once a year get the, the kind of visit. And it, we're not necessarily listening to the lessons from, from the past. And it's only now, I guess, within the last year or two with COVID that suddenly people are far more out there on the internet uh, for all the right and wrong reasons from the QA on nuts out there um, towards the, the wrong part of the internet uh, or to, to places like here where we talk about our experiences, where, we, we, where I try to, to pick out how the hell did you turn your life around? How did you transform? How did you become the new Tim? Not the couch potato Tim, but the ultra Tim, the, 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 the tripolar athlete, and which is so bloody fantastic, your transformation. I mean, you are truly, truly transformed into this new person. And this new person, may I say, I like a lot. Okay, and you probably Thanks. like a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. humility, uh, there is a dignity, there is, there is, you're just, just a nice guy. But you're the nice guy because of the guy you have been, the asshole, the the yeah. selfish prick, 
and I think it's the same here. It's the same yeah. here. I cherish who I am today. I'm proud to look in the mirror. And mm -hmm. not too long ago, that was not the case. So, yeah. so therefore, guys, you out there, it's if if two numb nuts like us can get our shit sorted, <laughs> honestly, then you guys have got a really fair chance. And yeah. if you if you listen to Tim, that was not the one moment that crystal clear came and that beautiful change and everything is hunky dory. Bullshit. That happens in films where you have got a screen, uh, the screen play, which is 90 minutes, and you have to do that quick transition. That works for 90 minutes. Sorry, it doesn't work in real life, okay? His transition took what? Better part of 10 years? Um, in, in reality, trial and tribulations. This is what is life all about. It is, we are, we are struggling. And that maybe gives you, your life a meaning. Uh, nowadays, I see all the pain that I've had. I see that as a positive to a degree. I It showed me who I really can be now. And that's something that I would have never imagined in the past. In the past, I was a cocky, know-it-all, arrogant sot. And nowadays, I'm far more humble I am. I live with integrity, and I'm proud of that. And that is not something that I. That the word pride would have not come into my vocabulary ten years ago. Okay, so, and that's cool. I love, I love the guy who I am today. Um, I still have a long way to go. I still fight the sugar. I still fight. Yeah. The, okay, <laughs> the munchies. I, Sugar is uh, hard, man. <laughs> it's the emotional, the emotional overeating. I still, yeah. I still, in the evening, God, I, I still come to a point where I say, I don't want this day to be finished. Ten o'clock. What do you mean? I need to go to bed? No, no, no. I haven't even started the day. Kind of things. So I still daily need to deal with that and need to deal with, with my mind that always want to be out there, want to be, yeah, 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 yeah. I need to bring myself in just as much as you stretch yourself out there to this beautiful high, however you get it, you need to come back down. The elastins in your system needs to come back to you being the serene you, the guy who is in the middle of the run and who's just plodding along and who's thinking about uh, the job next week and etc. That is living in the now, living here, feeling your your legs pounding the the asphalt underneath you. Um, that might be for you being right now driving to work and taking a deep breath and feeling how the, the breathing goes in and out whilst you're paying attention to the other idiots are out there. Okay, um, but you know it's that live in this moment. And that is something I've not learned for a long, long, long time. Do you celebrate your wins? But um, what is interesting uh, that you have put your, your medals away, but you still celebrate your wins? Or is that, do you take them now for granted? Um, yeah, I celebrate the wins. Usually after any big race, I feel pretty, 
pretty kind of on a pink cloud or euphoric for a few days, maybe even a few weeks afterwards. Um, but uh, mm. it doesn't take long before I start thinking about when is the next race? What, what am I going to do next? You know, and how am I going to design my training plan for this right, one? Uh, right. I used to obsess on my training plans, but now I pretty much kind of have a, a set routine that I go through um, and I enjoy the process and the journey. You know, life is a journey, not a destination. And, uh, you know, it's just part of what helps me maintain my uh, serenity and, and positive mental health, you know. Uh, you talked about so many good things right there. I had me think about all these different thoughts, you know, but being in the here and now is important. Uh, recently, in the last couple of years, I started working another 12-step fellowship, which focuses more on meditation. Uh, I'm learning how to manage, you know, some of my self-doubt, anxiety, insecurity and stuff through just breathing techniques, you know, mm -hmm. spending five to 10 minutes a day, just kind of sitting mm. and just breathing, taking some deep breaths. And uh, so I don't just need exercise to get rid of, uh, you know, anxiety or other issues, you know, just breathing. You know, if you don't have time, if you don't want to exercise, you don't have time to exercise. You can, any point in your day, you can go to a bathroom or wherever you need to do some quiet place and just take a few, five deep breaths. You know, my therapist had me do this thing where I, I breathe in peace and I breathe out whatever negative feeling I'm having, stress, mm. anger, what anxiety, whatever it is. And you just do that, you know, breathe it in, hold it, breathe it out, let it go. And, you know, five of those and you already start to feel better. It's amazing. So here we've got Ultra Tim, the tripolar athlete. Did he get there all to to this new new person? Did he find it all himself? Let me add, let me add your power team. So you saw a psychiatrist, you saw counselors you saw mental health professionals that helped you with the addiction you uh had input from nutrition you learned more about that you probably had a physiotherapist uh, along the lines and my you sponsors had, that's right program exactly yeah. so suddenly you realize actually there were a hell of a lot of people involved in tim's journey and yeah. what does that mean that uh, tim at some stage put himself down as the dumbest member of his team and actually started listening to those people who have been there, done there. They got the T-shirt and he was trying to, to even figure out the color of the T-shirt. And that's so important. That's so important. It's the, the connection. It's the talking yeah. to people. And the, the biggest person that we haven't actually managed, um, mentioned in this team is, well, two people, is your son and your wife. That is, how are they thinking about the the new the new Tim that is out there? Um, well, I know my wife loves it because I put her through the ringer. She's been stuck through me with thick and thin. And uh, there were definitely some times when she wanted to leave me when she just thought, thought I would never get sober. Um, but she's definitely very happy today that she's stuck around. And we've been really happy the last almost 14 years now. And uh, actually almost 17 because I had three years sober and that two months relapse. Um, and my kids actually um, were so young when I got sober. They were three and five. Yeah. I have three kids now. Huh. Um, they don't really remember um, how bad it was for daddy. They know daddy was sick for a little bit. And they know my story because I've taken the meetings, you know, even when they were teenagers. And they've heard right. me talk for 45 minutes about what it was like, what happened, what it's like today. So they know that I had a big problem with drugs and alcohol and that I, you know, you know, found 12 steps and sobriety and that I'm bipolar. So that and and. My oldest one has read my book. My my middle one, he's 19. He hasn't read it yet. Um, and my, my nine-year-old, 
I'm not going to pressure my nine-year-old to read it uh, just yet, but but yeah. she also knows. I mean, we're, we're really open with our kids. You know, my wife goes to Al-Anon, which is 12-step support groups for family members of alcoholics and addicts. And uh, we both go to meetings regularly um, and they hear us on our Zoom meetings, you know, so it's that we're, we, we would like to keep an honest, open line of communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all proud of me. Um, I kind of worry that I'm, I'm setting the bar too high for my kids because I know um, my oldest one talks about maybe doing a half Ironman one day, but right now he's just really into lifted weights, you know? Uh, and I'm like, don't feel like you have to be a triathlete just because I am. Do what you like. If it's lifted weights, that's your thing. Whatever your form of exercise is, just make sure you're doing something to get your body moving. It doesn't have to be triathlons. It can be yoga. It can be kayaking. It could be whatever, you know, golf. It's something where you're just getting outdoors if you can. And, you know, because that's what I love about trail running is I'm out in nature. Nature, just feel like I'm connected with God and spirituality because you know Mother Nature is so beautiful. It just makes me feel happy to be out there, you know, kind of away from the city because I live right next to LA, which is kind of like a concrete jungle. But we have beautiful mountains just 10, 15 minutes drive away, and I just go up to those mountains every chance I get, and that's feel where I feel like I connect with God and my higher power that I believe in. So, what's the name of your wife? My wife's name is Mariah. Mariah, yeah. big shout out to you and big shout out. To all the, the girls, boys, or in between that stuck around uh, and are now reaping the rewards of of helping us who have gone through hard times and came out the other end. And my wife is Lisa, so I would love to get Mariah and then and everyone yeah. around and just have just celebrate these wives and these partners who have gone through so much pain that we have caused and yeah thank you thank you to those who stuck it out and yeah. we had a new new improved versions now you you have got the 2.0 or three or 4.0 in some cases <laughs> <laughs> it's cool i wouldn't have it any other way yeah. oh man so tim you have written a book we need yeah. come on we need to plug here you need to show me your book tripolar <laughs> perfect an absolute guys. So if you have a look out there, can you figure it out? What is there? Can you see, see it? Picture. Uh, it's a bit hard to see. Yeah. Just tell us what. At, what the, the, at the top, there's a guy sitting down, down on his luck with different drugs and alcohol around him. In the middle, it's uh, kind of represents bipolar, happy face, sad face. And on the last one, it's like somebody meditating, kind of smiling with the you know, Zen recovery. And on the bottom, it's just a swimmer, biker, runner, you know, triathlon. So this was like the tri you know, vector or tri- trilogy of, you know, effect of, you know, down on my disease, getting diagnosed by polar, but learning to take care of my mind and spirit. And then, you know, finally kind of achieving happiness and serenity through all of that. And this triathlon is just, you know, what my, how I take care of my physical body, awesome. you know, because I often say we got to take care of the mind, body, and spirit, you know, three things. And that's, yeah, I've learned what I need to do to take care of my mind, body, spirit through, you know, therapy, psychiatry, 12 steps and exercise and everything else, you know. And the, the saying issues lie in the tissues is very, very true. I mean, you are working out your tissues and therefore you're working out your issues. So I think there is something to be said about that. We have got this chance of, of changing our lives. And in order to do so, we need to look after our body. We need to work with our body. And once you make that an habit, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. 
but yeah, there's so much we can learn from you. So guys, if 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 Tim's story rang a bell, get his book, have a look at the, the lessons that he has learned there. And Tim, uh, where, what are your social media handles? So if All people right. want to follow you, etc. All right. Um, well, my website's ultratimdavis.com, which has my all my social media links. On Instagram, I'm tripolar underscore Tim. And on Facebook and Twitter, I'm ultratimdavis1. Perfect. And guys, look down there into the description of the video and uh, of the podcast. You've got all the handles there. And whilst you're looking down there, press the subscribe button, press that like button. And if you if you liked what you you've heard here, then maybe spread the word. Spread the word with your with your friends to say, hey, there's this 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 guy, uh, Stefan, who does uh, that show. Maybe have a listen to that. And what? we're trying to do is basically spread the word that it's okay not to be okay. It's absolutely, it's part and parcel of life. We are not this polished facade that we try to portray on social media. Bullshit. We are real (laughs) people. We feel like shit some days and we make mistakes and we are, God, that is us. That is us. We are human. That's right. And celebrate that celebrate it that you made a mistake because that's how you learn sometimes you win sometimes you learn and that's not just the saying that's beautiful right now i mean here here i am overweight probably obese or or even more um and and talking to an ultra distance runner is there maybe a bit of pain in me is there a bit of maybe jealousy in me is there a bit of envy there yes all of the above has Tim given me given me food for thought. Hell yes. Has this interview put me outside of my comfort zone? Hell yes. Um, is there a bit of pain there for there? Yes, there is. Will that implement change in me? Yes. So that is so cool. That is how life changes. That is guys expose yourself to new experiences out there and then put them together make a meaning make a sense out of of what is happening to you you have got the all the right to write the the next chapter in your book don't let someone else write it you need to sit down and think who do you want to be when you grow up and it doesn't matter if you're 70 or 17 just think Take take time out, out of the rat race. Connect with yourself. Maybe go for a long walk where there's no phone connection. Uh, maybe do something like that and sit down and just let the sun warm your skin and actually listen to the birds and just empty your mind and actually see what comes in. And it's amazing. Once, once, you, once you start asking the right questions, funnily enough, God, the universe, spaghetti monster, whoever is out there, uh, will actually give you not just energy, but also answers to some interesting, interesting dilemmas that you're facing. So give yourself the time, treat your body right, and suddenly you find answers. You find that little aha that then drives you to take action and changes your emotions maybe even with your habits you change your programming that runs the emotions that drives you how cool is that you can do all that there's nothing stopping you and that's tim did it i did it 
what stops you guys? You can do it. Honestly, you can do it. Uh, so, oh, Tim, thank you so much I mean, for being on my show. You were, you were just such an amazing man. If there's one last question, if you could go back in a time machine and meet your younger self, which message would you send to your younger self? Wow, it depends on which younger age self. Yeah. <laughs> I've been so many different places in my mind or you know, with where I was at in life. But I think the most important thing I guess I could say is um, stay focused. Um, you know, life will get better. Um, so just have, have hope and faith. Life will get better. Indeed. And how hopeless was I in the past? So true, so true. Tim, you're an amazing man. I'm so pleased that you were a guest on my show. Uh, I know you have got your own show. I know you are going out there to with your book uh, that was published about six months ago. So you are on this journey now to start making sense of your suffering and giving back and, and sharing your story and therefore sharing hope with others. I wish you all the best on this journey. We need people like you to tell others out there, there is hope. So let's spread that word. Let's stand on the rooftop, rooftops and shout it out as loud as we can. Okay. Awesome. That's my goal. Thanks for being a part of my virtual book tour. That's all I really want this book to do is hopefully give other people hope and inspire others to, to do whatever great things they want to do. You know, exactly. triathlons or ultras. Tim, look after yourself. It was an absolute honor. And you guys right, out there. Absolutely. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. Bye.